0: Welcome to, like, the first official service of River City Church. Super excited to have you guys here, super excited to be with you. Uh, My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Hannah, Uh, and we have two little kids. Uh, Emma is uh, two and a half, and Caleb is about eight months or so. Uh, It wouldn't be a proper church launch if everything went great. They're homesick. So, you know, we're just keeping things interesting, right, around here, (laughs) So uh, I feel like that would be like one of those Pinterest photos where you just say, nailed it, you know? So anyways, I'm excited to uh, excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, at River City Church, one of the things that we really value really highly um, is God's Word. It's the Bible. And uh, one of the main ways that that gets lived out in the life of our church is especially here on Sunday mornings, um, you'll find if you're here with any kind of regularity that uh, we're like pretty much always just going to be going through a book of the Bible. Um, There's a couple of reasons uh, that that is the case. One, we think that the Bible is God's word, and it's how he chooses to reveal himself to us, and so if we want to know him, then, like, that's the best way to do that, right? Uh, Number two, we think that, like, understanding God's word is the best way by which we both grow in our knowledge of God and in our love for him. And the Bible is God's, him revealing to us, again, who he is and what he's like. And so if we want to know him and love him, then we've got to read his word. Lastly, I am not witty enough to come up with series or titles on my own. So that's why we'll just go through the Bible. The, seri- the titles are already in there, right? So uh, we're going to be uh, starting with the, the book of Ephesians. And uh, so I just want to give you a little bit of background on that book. And then we'll pray and we'll dive in and see what God's word has in store for us this morning. So uh, the city of Ephesus is uh, was a major port city in this area called Asia Minor, which is basically modern day Turkey, right? Um, it had like perfect access to tons of uh, sea trade routes it was a port city and it also was like primely set up for land trade routes like you kind of think of it like new york right anything you want to get to anywhere on the eastern seaboard you pretty much go through new york right it has the best port It, it gets everywhere everything comes through new york right that's a very similar to the kind of city that ephesus was uh, and I think especially important, it's, it's really important to realize, like, uh, kind of the religious background of that city. Um, the Temple of Artemis or the Roman goddess Diana, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And that was located in the city of Ephesus. And so um, kind of the worship of this uh, Greek Roman god was kind of, it basically pervaded every part of society. Um, The city was often called the seat of Artemis. And so basically, like, Artemis was worshipped in just about every kind of way in the city. Uh, She was considered the guardian of the city. Um, She was, the temple was actually the bank for the city, was in the temple of Artemis. Her image was on all of the money, all of the festivals, all of the parties, like everything revolved around Artemis. Artemis and the worship of this God. The worship of Artemis was pervasive, um, not just in the city of Ephesus, but throughout this region called Asia Minor. Uh, And uh, we'll talk more about that as we kind of get into the book. Um, The the book of Ephesians that we have, that we're studying in the Bible, uh, was written by the Apostle Paul in about the year 8060. Uh, Ten years earlier, Paul had visited the city of Ephesus and kind of left some of his posse there to uh, help start the first church in that whole region uh, in Asia Minor there. He returned uh, a few years later in the mid-50s and stayed for a couple of years um, preaching about Jesus and proclaiming the gospel and helping to plant more churches in the area. And God had actually previously prevented Paul from getting to this area called Asia Minor. It was a place he was actively trying to go to reach people with the gospel and spread the gospel. Um, But now, finally, the gates were wide open for that to happen, and the Bible says that the the fruitfulness and the effectiveness of the Apostle Paul and this young church plant were so great that during these three years, uh, it says in Acts chapter 20, that by the end of those three years, every Jew and Greek in the province of Asia Minor had heard the the word of the Lord. Like, they were busy, right? (laughs) They were intentional, they were incredibly deliberate in kind of using Ephesus as a hub for not just reaching that one city, but reaching a region. And uh, I think lastly, before we just really dive in here, every book of the Bible has a purpose, right? Right? Like, I think sometimes we can look at the Bible and just see it as, like, this kind of document that's just kind of is there, written to a different people at a different time and whatever, right? But it's really important that we understand that every book in the Bible is, it has a reason it was written, just like every <laughs> book today has a reason that it was written. And so it's really important that we understand that if we're going to understand, like, what is in the letter, Right, And so um, the purpose of the book of Ephesians is a little less clear than many New Testament books. Um, there isn't some major like moral failing that Paul is addressing. There isn't like some hugely divisive issue. There aren't people like off their rocker theologically. Like there, there doesn't seem like there's like this, like this deeply, like this, this clear reason that Paul is writing this letter to them, right? And so I think we just need to just take a quick look outside of the book of Ephesians to see that a little bit better. Paul's last words to the Ephesian church um, are recorded for us actually in the book of Acts. And his last words to them as he's heading back to Jerusalem um, are basically, guard the flock, watch out for bad theology and people who are going to try to come in and steal and and just to mess up what's going on here. Be careful about that. Um, Those are his last words to them in person as he sees them. If you fast forward 30 years to 80, 90, three decades later, that's a long time, right? Jesus himself actually has a message for this church in the city of Ephesus. That's recorded for us in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3 record some letters. Jesus himself comes to John on, a, on, on an island and basically gives him this message for these churches. And Jesus' message for this, the church in the city of Ephesus, 30 years later, he says, you guys did a great job guarding the flock. You guys did a great job doing the things that Paul encouraged you to do, but you forgot why you were doing any of it. He said, you've forsaken your first love. You forgot me. You forgot that I was the reason that you were guarding the flock. You thought that my love for you and your love for me was the thing that was motivating you. You forgot that. And it just became kind of a theological, fundamental battle that you were fighting. And Jesus says, repent and turn, otherwise I'm going to close your church. See the letter to the Ephesians that we have is written in the in-between time of those. If Paul's last message is guard the gate and Jesus' last message 30 years later is you forgot the why you were doing any of it, love me, then Ephesians it like is in the in chronology of just it being written is it's in the middle of that time period. And I think what's going on in the book of Ephesians is that Paul like Paul knew that there was a risk that that would happen. He knew that there was a risk that they would forget the why behind what they were doing, and they would just get bogged down in, in trying to guard the gate and keep their church good and all that kind of stuff, but they'd forget the why behind it. And this is my opinion. This is not a fact, right? But I think that the purpose of the book of Ephesians is meant to rekindle the hearts of the Ephesian church for Jesus, As you will see in the coming months, Ephesians is not a formal greeting. It is not a heady theological paper. It is not like this 39 bullet point task list. Ephesians rather is like a passionate proclamation to this church about God's love made known to them in Jesus. It's not a letter that's written to the head of the hearer. It's one that's written to their heart. And it's really important, I think, in light of seeing the message that Jesus has for this church 30 years later that says, you forgot that, I, you forgot that my love for you, you forgot that I was the reason you did everything. And I think Paul here is attempting to circumvent that in the life of this church, to remind them about God's incredible, ridiculous love for them. And that, that would be the thing that motivates and empowers and fuels everything that's happening with them. There is always a danger for us to forget our first love just like the Ephesians did. (laughs) I think we'd be foolish to believe that like that couldn't happen to us. And so I think my hope for us is that as we study the Bible and as we uh, dig through the book of Ephesians or really any book that, that we study for that matter, I hope that what happens in our hearts is that the good news becomes good news again to us. You see, the gospel is central to everything that happens in the Bible. It is the center of the story by which all of the other things pivot around. Not because it is the beginning of the story, but because it is the most important part of the story. The Ephesian church, they did all the the right things. They just had the wrong motivations. And Jesus said, repent or I will close your church. It wasn't like, hey, you guys are doing the right things. Just, you know, try a little bit harder. It'll be fine. His message to them is love me and let that be your motivations or don't do it at all. I want us, my heart for us as we study God's word every week is that we will grow to treasure and enjoy Jesus more and more every time we're together. And so let's pray that that happens as we dig into God's word this morning and uh, as we dig into it every week. And trust that God will remind us how good news the gospel is and would encourage and motivate our hearts by him. So let's pray and then we'll dive into Ephesians. God, thank you so much for your word. We are so incredibly grateful for it. Pray that you would uh, just fill me with your spirit so that I might like actually be helpful to the people here this morning. God, I don't have anything helpful to say apart from what you would long to say through me. And so I just long that you would speak well through me. Pray that. Uh, as we read your word this morning, that the chief result would be that we would treasure and enjoy you more for all that you've done on our behalf and that that would get lived out in our lives in lots of ways. I pray these things in your good name. Amen. Well, let's, let's actually read, right? Let's read the Bible together and then uh, we'll dive in and see what it has to say, okay? Uh, and you can throw up those slides for me. We're in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 1 this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. And praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and goodwill to the praise of his glorious grace for which he freely given us in the one he loves. For in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put to effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth, under Christ. For in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ Jesus might be for the praise of his glory. And you also, when you were included with Christ, you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, when you believed you were marked with him with a seal, the promised spirit who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Verses uh, 3 through 14, this section that we just read, uh, that's all one sentence in the original language. The uh, the English teachers in the room are horrified, right? And the students are thinking, nice, run-on sentences are biblical, right? This is going to change my schooling, right? Paul, uh, Paul here, he can barely keep it together for two verses before he just launches in to, like, how epically good the gospel is. His first... Like, he's like, he gets his greeting out of the way, and he's like, okay, we got to get to this, people, right? His first thing is, praise be to God, the Father of our Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. That sounds good. Like, I'm on the team of, like, getting all the spiritual blessings, right? The question is, what is Paul talking about? Notice he's not saying material blessings here on earth, but rather he's saying spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms is not describing a star map. It's not describing one of the worlds that Thor governs or whatever in the nine realms in those movies or whatever, right? Rather, as John Stott points out, right, that the heavenly realms are the unseen world of the spiritual reality, They are the sphere in which the principalities and powers continue to operate and in which Christ reigns supreme. So if the heavenly realms are the location of our blessing, then what are the blessings that we have received if we received every one of them? Well, the phrase every spiritual blessing um, refers to basically everything that we as Christians have because of Jesus. Paul is going to take the next, the better part of the next three chapters to like flesh out what he's talking about. So we're not going to get to all of it this morning. But basically it's everything that we have because of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying when you've received every spiritual blessing. That's all because of Jesus and what you have in him. He begins with this foundational truth, though, in verses 4 and 5, he says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. For in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus. Do you, you hear that? Chosen to be adopted. Throughout the Bible, God uses a familial language to describe who he is and what he's like. That's how he's chosen to reveal himself. He could have used any example. He could have used any framework that he wanted. God decided to use family language to describe who he was and what he was like. That has really big implications for us because it's not just about how we know about who God is, but it it changes how we see ourselves and furthermore how we relate to God. The Bible talks about God as a father. It's mentioned three or four times in this passage alone. And I recognize that that word is pretty loaded in our society, right? But when the Bible is describing God as a father, it's describing like the best dad ever. It's like the kind of dad that everyone wants. It's the one who loves you unconditionally, the one who deeply knows you, deeply cares about you, the one who, when he corrects you, corrects you with, like, right motivations, right? It's the one who's not quick to anchor but is patient. He knows and puts your needs before his own. That's the kind of father that the Bible is talking about when it's talking about God. And so it's really important that we don't, like, read our own, like, just all the baggage that comes with that for so many, the idea of a father, it's really important that we get our understanding of about what a father should be from God and from what he said he's like. That helps us frame that rightly. This is something you will probably get sick of me talking about over the coming years, right? But I think understanding the father heart of God really changed pretty dramatically for me when I actually had kids. Um, I remember, like, when Emma was born... Uh, I just remember, like, leading up to that, like, I don't, I was remember thinking, like, what if I don't love her? Like, I don't, like, how do, I don't know, what, what if she's not what I expected? Like, what, I, I don't know what, like, I just didn't know what to expect about how I would feel about her when she was born. And, like, all I can just tell you is that, like, Emma came out and I just, like, immediately loved her. Like she was not impressive, she was pretty nasty when she came out you know like if anyone's been there it's not a pretty kind of thing right like uh, as Andy said, like she couldn't do any tricks right she had no sweet bow staff skills like she had nothing right like she just was kind of just like she was just kind of there pooping and crying right but like man i I loved that little girl immediately that like that will never ever change like I've Like been her dad for long enough to know, like, there is nothing that she's gonna do that's gonna affect how much I love her. That is just like just a incredibly imperfect example of the kind of love that God as a father has for us as his kids. And I think it goes even further because the kind of love that God has for his kids is not for kids that were born to him, but kids he chose to adopt kids that weren't a part of his family who he decided to love and make a part of his family. You see, this language written to this audience, they would have understood it in this, the Greco-Roman context where there is a law about adoption that it basically the influence is like you have been granted a, a special status. It signified entry into a privileged relationship and a privileged position. And so Paul doesn't just use the language adoption lightly. It's not like he's just like, it's kind of like that, you know. He's like really deliberately trying to help the Ephesian church understand what happened. You were an orphan. You had no hope. You had no future. And God, as a good father, chose to direct his love at you and adopt you to make you a part of his family. And here's the kicker. It says, that happened before the creation of the world. That's really good news because it means that God did not choose to make you a part of his family because of your merit, your value, your impressiveness, or your bow staff skills, right? <laughs> like, you, you didn't impress God. He chose to love you before the foundations of the earth. That's really good news because it means you did not earn God's love, and that means you cannot jack it up, Right? His love is directed at you on his account because of his accord. It's, the Bible doesn't use language like, and there was this legal exchange, and you used to be this, and now you're this. No, it says you were adopted. It's not like buying a car, right? You get the title, great, it's yours, awesome. Like, it's, it's different than that. It's adopting, it's choosing to love a child. The passage as well says that God wasn't just like, oh, well, nobody else is going to take him. So, yes, I might as well. Like, somebody's got to. Otherwise, they're going to run around and cause trouble. Like, no, it says, in love, God predestined us to be his kids. It says later that he lavished his grace on us. Like, God adopting us as his kids, that was not a begrudging act. It wasn't him, like, just like, somebody's got to do it, so I guess I will Like, that was God out of the overflow of his goodness. Like, choosing to love and adopt us as his kids. John Piper says this about these passages. He says, Your adoption is not fragile or tenuous or uncertain. God will not adopt and then find out that you are not worthy and unadopt you. He knows we are unworthy. He chose us and predestined us for adoption before the foundations of the world, this is firm and sure and unshakable. Paul goes on to say there's some effects because of your adoption," And I think he really highlights three things in this passage. Because you've been adopted, made God's children, there are three things that really happen here. In verse 7 he says that we have redemption... In verse 7 later, we have forgiveness of our sins. And lastly, in verse 11, he says, In him we were chosen in order that we might be for the praise of his glory. I would say that we were given purpose. In verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption, it connotates a liberation from imprisonment or bondage. The passage says, You weren't just redeemed. It says you were redeemed with his blood which is not just, like, an awkward way to say that, like, there was, like, blood running around, right? But it's rather to, like, highlight the idea, like, this, that phrase is, like, just pregnant with meaning, right? It signifies that Christ's death, that that is the thing that has won our redemption. It was obtained, our redemption was obtained at a really high cost, goes on to say, we have forgiveness of sins. That's a rescue from God's judgment and righteous judgment of our actions. One commentator notes this, because men and women apart from Christ are dead in our sins, divine forgiveness is essential for the restoration of the relationship with the Father. Lastly here, I'll try to wrap us up here, right? Verse 11 It says in him you were chosen before the found and you were chosen in order that we might be for the praise of his glory. You might have noticed that phrase repeats itself a couple of times, right? To the praise of his glory, for the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glory. It's in verses six and twelve and fourteen. In verses five and nine, it says, This was all according to his good pleasure, right? You see, the purpose of our salvation is not really about us at all. It's really primarily about God. As one commentator says, every blessing for us in Christ, planned out by the Father and sealed by the Spirit, is meant to make much of the triune God. Grace glorifies the giver. The point of all of it the point of our adoption, the point of being loved and chosen and predestined, the point that we would be God's kids and that we would have redemption and forgiveness, that would be given purpose, the, the culmination of all of that is that it would point back to God himself. That those who didn't deserve to be adopted were adopted and then that they would worship the one who adopted them. So why is it such good news that... Our salvation is not about us, but it's really about God. Well, I would say this God is about our joy. He's not after our begrudging obedience. The more we enjoy Him, the more His glory is praised. John Piper again says this God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. And so when we choose to enjoy Him and worship him and give him credit for all that he's done, like, that's like, we're in the sweet spot of how we were designed to be. Also, you are not the center of the universe. That is like a huge weight to bear. Like, stop doing that. Like, when, you've, when you, when we, when like, we act and live and think as though we're the center of the universe, that sucks. Because like, there's incredible amount of burden and weight and like, heaviness with that, Right? When the world is more and more about us, like, we are more angry and more tired. It's just how it works. When the world is not about you, like, that's freeing. That's life giving. Lastly, the gospel is about God's glory and not our glory. That makes our purpose, instead of pursuing our own glory, we're able to be about God's glory, which is the most life giving thing of all. So let me close with this. What does it look like for us to live to the praise of his glory? If that's the point of all of it, if that's the culmination of everything that's going on here, that we, would be, that we would be his possession to the praise of his glory, what does that look like? John Stott says this, To live to the praise of the glory of his grace is both to worship him, ourselves, with our words and our deeds, as gracious as the gracious God he is, and to cause others to see and praise him too. What is John, what is he saying? One, the way that we live to the praise of God's glory is enjoy him. Like the first step is enjoy God. Enjoy all of his goodness. Enjoy that you are adopted as his kids. Enjoy that you have redemption and forgiveness and freedom and life. Enjoy it treasure it make much of it sing about it remember it read about it enjoy it talk to god about it like let it soak in your heart and then like when you're full up on that like it just pours out of you right it's not something that's intended to be kept to yourself but like when we live to the praise of his glory we don't just enjoy it ourselves like it somebody bumps into you it pours out on them It says, we enjoy God's grace. We long that others would enjoy his grace as well. That's why many of us have moved to the city of Dubuque, left jobs and careers and different kinds of things all over the country that we would move here because we feel like God is longing to show his grace to the people in the city of Dubuque. And so, might we as a church enjoy Jesus a lot, treasure him immensely. And might that, like, just tip over out of us all the time as we rub shoulders with the people in our city and our coworkers and our neighbors, that they might see what is full up in us is the enjoyment and the treasuring of God's good fatherly heart for us. And that we would just graciously pour that out into the lives of others around us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, and thank you most of all that you are a good, good father. God, thank you that our adoption as your kids has nothing to do with like our performance, has nothing to do with like our, like anything that we could have earned or merited or proven it has nothing to do with that. Thank you that, God, you decided that you would love us and adopt us as your kids. We don't deserve that. We haven't earned it. And so, God, we just want to come with gracious and thankful hearts that we might enjoy and treasure you as our good father. And that our love for you and your love for us would pour out of us into the lives of other people around us. God, we are so grateful for your saving us. Why you use us to live and be to the praise of your great name. Amen.